Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. What I found is it's kind of hard to tell in the English text what Paul is asking for and when he asks. In this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, he asked for three things. So what I did to help you out and help me out is in your bulletin, you're going to see that I underlined the three major things that Paul is asking for. And as he asks for those things, it results in the bottom with the final thing that we're going to hit at the end there in verse 19. Uh, So I put that all in there for you so you could follow along and fill in the blanks as we go. Uh, But before we jump into the text, I just want to throw a couple announcements at you. The first one is November 15th, we're going to have an end times core class. In our core classes, we focus on the main things we believe and the main things that we do. So our core beliefs and our core practices. So this evening, we're going to get together and talk about how the whole thing in the end is going to wrap up, okay? So uh, you've probably asked that question. In the end, what happens? At the end of that night, you're still probably not going to know. Uh, But we're going to try to see what the Bible does say clearly and what it maybe says not so clearly and figure out what is coming. What has God told us? How can we be prepared. Uh, And that night's going to be kind of a win-win for the church because the family ministry department that works with our kids is going to have several things going at the same time. So downstairs are having some sort of big Nerf war. So downstairs there's going to be like a a Nerfageddon going on at the same time where we're talking about Armageddon here upstairs. And then as soon as we close up here, uh, the kids are doing an insomnia event right afterwards at 9.30. So There's no reason for anybody not to come. We've got kids taken care of. We've got a bunch of fun things coming. Love to see you Friday, November 15th. If you could sign up and let me know you're coming, I'll print a book for you. It'll help me save my budget if I know how many are coming. So if you would sign up online or on the app, that would help me out. Uh, Second thing, last thing with announcements, I just want to thank you again for your involvement with Trunk or Treat. Matt mentioned, Matt Garrison, that we had 5,000 people come. That is no little thing. That's 5,000 people who likely throughout the week never had anybody look them in the eye and say that we are glad you're here. We're thankful for you. So 5,000 people showed up and they got to experience that from each one of you. So thank you. 450 families basically identified themselves saying, we'd like to know about the other things that are going to be happening at Bible Center Church. So all 450 families, which is like over 1,000 people, we're going to invite to come back to our Christmas in Charleston. So yes, they received some candy, but Lord willing, over time, they get to hear about the love of God as we sing about it, as we celebrate Christmas. So Lord willing, Trunk or Treat leads to opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel and share the love of Christ. So your involvement in that, whether you brought candy, passed out candy, decorated your car, dressed up and looked silly, all of that leads to us making a difference in our city and us getting the word out about the love of Christ. So thank you again for that. Uh, So this morning, we're finishing up our Made for More series, which puts us at the end of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. So throughout chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul's been clearly talking about the beauty and the reality of the gospel, who Christ is and what he accomplished for us and what that means for us in our lives. In the spring, we're going to be talking about chapters 4, 5, and 6, which is what we do. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 is what's true of who we are. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is what we then do. So this is kind of our why, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is kind of our what and how. If we don't get the why, then we can look like Jesus, act like Jesus, but be hollow inside. So we want to make sure that this gospel becomes the centerpiece of our life. 
And today, this prayer that Paul prays at the end is basically a prayer to put Jesus and the love of Christ in the very center of your person, your heart, your mind, your will, your actions, your decisions, who you are as a person. So I'm excited for us to jump into the text. Before I do, I just want to let you know something that kind of stuck out to me. There's a uniqueness to this prayer. Uh, it's also true of the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. For you and I, when you pray for things, if you're like me, you often pray for things that are just a little bit like outside of your reach. You want to have something that you presently don't have. So you pray for that job, that advancement, that car, that house, that relationship, uh, for that person, for that situation. You pray for something that's out of your control, that's a little beyond your reach. That's not what Paul does here. Not at all. What Paul does here in Ephesians 3, he doesn't pray that they get something that's outside of their reach. He prays that they would understand what is already true of them. It's a very different kind of prayer. He's not praying for something that they don't have. He's praying that they would truly believe and understand what they already have. And as I've spent time in this prayer, I'm convinced that maybe that's the way I should be praying. I should start with that, that you and I would truly believe how much we're loved before we start going out praying for the little things that we think we need. Because the greatest thing that we need, we've already been given. So this prayer is going to go through and talk to us more about that. Before we study a prayer, I think we should probably spend time and pray together. So let's talk to the Lord together. It's in your goodness we come before you. It's in your grace we have the opportunity to be your children, and your love has been lavished upon us. And Lord, my hope as we teach this passage is that that would just be made clear. Speak clearly through your word to your people, me included. Change our hearts, transform our lives. Allow us to really get a clear understanding and glimpse of the love that you have for us. According to this passage, we need your power to understand your love. So empower us right now in this moment to see you for who you are. Teach through your servant, preach to your people, change all of us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so verse 14, if you want to look at your notes. Verse 14, he starts to give the context of this prayer. Before Paul jumps into the meat of the prayer, he gives the context of the prayer. Verse 14 says this in chapter 3. He says, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. So before he even gets into the content of the prayer, he lets them know that he is going to bow before the Father. Now, every time you pray, you don't need to bow, but there's some significance in the fact that Paul took the time to describe the fact that he is bowing before the Father. A couple things pop into mind. One, Paul is recognizing who he's talking to. We know that the Lord is our loving Father. We know Jesus is called our brother, and we have a, we're going to inherit the kingdom of God with him. But sometimes we forget he's the creator God of the universe. When we enter into, our, into his presence, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Every angel proclaims, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and you and I get to sit in his presence. Sometimes the right response is a humble going on to one or two knees and bowing before this king of the universe. Paul bows. Another reason to bow is because there's an earnestness within us. We recognize that we're dependent upon him to get what we need. So both in reverence and humility and in earnestness and great desire, Paul bows before the Father. And it's not inappropriate for you and I sometimes to find ourselves on our knees for those same reasons. Even as a church staff, we have one meeting once a week where the pastors and some of the directors get together, and we end every single meeting praying on our knees for the needs of the church, for the needs of the city. We get on our knees because it's appropriate. 
So this is something that's a good part of the way we spend time with the Lord. Verse 15 says this. It says, well, it says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's from the Father, the creator of the universe, from the King of Kings, that the whole family, his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So often you and I find our identity in our last name in Graham or Smith or Jones or King or friend. In your last name, you find your identity. In your place of work, you find your identity. In your relationship, in your home, I'm a husband or a spouse or a dad or a son or a daughter. We find our identity in those things. Here, here, he reminds us that it's from him that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Our identity, our purpose is first of all found in him. Not your last name, not what you do. Your identity, your purpose, your significance, your worth is found first of all in him, in the name that he's given you. You being associated with him, you being able to say, Abba, Father, changes everything about you. That piece of your identity, that reality of who you are, is the most important thing about you. So Paul says those things out loud before he starts to pray. In dependence, I will bow. In humility and earnestness, I will bow. Before the Father who's Father over everyone who calls on his name. My identity is found in him. And then Paul begins to make requests. In verse 16, he says, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power. So in your notes and on there, you're going to see underlined what his request is, because it's kind of hard in the English to see what he's requesting. But his request is this, to be strengthened with power. Paul's asking that God would grant them to be strengthened with power. But notice the phrase before that. He says, according to the riches of his glory. So how will we we be strengthened with power? Well, it's in accordance with the riches of his glory. In chapter 1, it talks about the fact that you and I are forgiven and redeemed from the riches of His grace. In accordance with the riches of His grace, every sin you've ever committed, past, present, on into the future, that grace covers your sin. From the riches, from the storehouses of His grace, your sins are covered. Here, the description is according to the riches of His glory. From the riches of His glory, you and I are empowered. The picture that pops into my mind with this this concept of riches of God's glory is that, of course, my mind references the Hobbit movie. I'm not sure why. But if you remember in the Hobbit movie, the, the mountain is filled with treasure. The dwarves collected treasure for generations and filled the entire inside of this mountain with gold. So this is like the storehouse of the dwarves. It's so filled with riches that you could buy whatever home you want, whatever jet you want, you could probably buy a yacht. You could probably buy the nicest car you can think of over and over and over again, and you would never run out of financial wealth. According to this treasury, you will never run out of what you need. According to the riches of God's glory, you will never run out of the power that you need and the power that God gives you. We have access to the treasury of God's glory, okay? So he wants you to know that as he goes into asking for, pleading for, power. Verse 16 again, he's praying that God the Father would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that likewise Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
I put that word likewise in there for a reason. I put it in brackets because it's not in your text. But that's the concept that the, that word is kind of communicating. There's a series of two thoughts that kind of parallel one another. We are to be strengthened with power through the spirit in the inner man. And so likewise through Christ who dwells in our hearts. Both of those things kind of run together, teaching the same thing. You've been given the Holy Spirit. The Bible references the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. So to say Christ lives in you is a true statement. To say the Holy Spirit lives in you is a true statement. What's interesting here is where he says that Christ would dwell in your hearts. That word heart there is the word cardia in the Greek. All it means is that it's more than just your emotions. When the Bible references your heart, it's talking about your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your desires, your volition, everything about you is being addressed when the word cardia comes up. So in the first phrase, it says inner man, which is kind of everything on the inside. And cardia says the same thing. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ himself, lives inside of you in such a way that your emotions, your thoughts, your will, your desires, all of it is being radically transformed and changed. Okay? So he's praying that they be filled with power through the Spirit, through Christ, who dwells in their hearts with faith. So what's going to happen here is he's going to make three requests. That was the first one. And then it's going to progress to the second request and the third request. And in verse 19, it's going to land on a result. If these three things happen, if these three things are true, here's what will result. Here's the second request. The second request is the end of verse 17. It says, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. That's the second request. And that you may be able to comprehend. In typical Pauline fashion, Paul wrote this letter. He throws in all these little extra comments and sidebars as he's trying to get to his point. So here, the beautiful thing that he throws in there is he says, and that you, parentheses, being rooted and grounded in love, and then he jumps into the second request. Let's not miss that parentheses. You, being rooted and grounded or established in love is a big deal. What he's saying is, I'm going to start praying that you experience and know the love of Christ more. But as I pray for that, you are not presently disconnected from the love of Christ. You are actually rooted into the love of Christ, and you're established in the love of Christ. So he's giving us two pictures. The first picture is sort of, it's a, <clears throat> the first picture is like agricultural. The second picture is architectural. So the first picture is like this, these big, thick roots that God's given us that go down deep into the love of Christ. So who we are, what we've built into is the very love of Christ, the dirt, the ground that sustains us, that secures us, is the love of Christ, and we are rooted in it. So if you look at the next tree, you're going to see that there's a root system under the tree, and above the ground is the tree itself. The ability for the tree to withstand storms and wind and rain is dependent on how big the root system is. The deeper and the wider the root system, the more that that tree can withstand as the wind hits it, as the hail pelts it, as the water hits it. So we're designed to be in Christ's love to hold us secure and strong through hardships. This hit me actually this morning while I was reading through this again as a devotional. When, when the rain hits a tree, where does the water go? When the rain hits the tree, it hits the tree, lands on the leaves and the wood, and then it runs down into the dirt. And then what does the tree do with the now wet dirt? 
it takes the water back from the dirt and makes it even stronger than what it was before. So the tree will take the beating, it'll take the storms, it'll take the wind, it'll take the rain, and then it will take it and make it even stronger than what it was before. Is, not, not, is that not true of you and me? As we go through life and we're rooted in the love of Christ, when the hard things hit us, when the rain hits us, because we're rooted, it hits us and it kind of goes down to the dirt, and God's designed it that that is the nourishment that we need to grow us even more. So we're thankful that we're rooted in the love of Christ. But we're also grounded or established in the love of Christ. Here's a building that kind of represents that. This building is, I mean, it's not going anywhere, is it? Do you see that thing? Like the wind can rage, the water can rise, and it's not going anywhere because it is, has huge foundations. For us, we're to be grounded, established in the love of God. The foundation bricks and blocks and cornerstones of our life should be grounded in the reality and the truth of the love of Christ. And when that happens, the storms can hit, the wind can rage, the waters can rise, and you're not moved. The love of Christ secures you. The love of Christ holds you. It's the love of Christ that strengthens you. So it's no small phrase that he throws in there, but being rooted and grounded in love, he then makes the request that we may be able to comprehend, to be able to comprehend the love of God. This concept of comprehend here is primarily thinking intellectually. It's this concept, this idea of us being able to mentally wrap our arms around the reality of the love of God. So the picture that jumps to my head here is like, well, there's, here's a tree hugger, which is literally hugging a tree. Like for us, this is like us trying to mentally put our arms around the reality of the love of Christ. It is so big. Her fingers will never touch. Neither will yours. You'll never fully comprehend. But Christ is praying here, or Paul's praying that we will be able to stretch our arms as far as possible, wider and wider, to have a greater and bigger understanding of the love of the Lord as our minds are trying to get wrapped around the reality of how much he truly loves us. So notice in the first prayer, he requested power because we need power to comprehend. We need the power of God to comprehend the love of God. The love of God is so big that you've got no shot being able to understand it and wrap your head around it unless the power of God is activated, involved, and fills you. You need the storehouses of his glory to be able to have a shot at wrapping your head around how much he loves you. That's how big it is. You cannot understand or comprehend the love of God without the power of God. Let's continue through verse 18. That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth implied of his love. Don't miss that phrase, with all the saints. So he's just prayed for the ability for us to comprehend this love of God. But he says, with all the saints. So this is not singles tennis. This isn't bowling. Okay, this isn't like an individual sport. He just described us understanding the love of God as being a team sport. Like we need one another. We each play a role in our lives to understand. So I'm not sure. Well, there's a but. So there's, there's the back of one of the players. I don't, I'm not sure why I picked that picture. But it's a team sport. Like we, we need each other to fully comprehend the love of God. Well, how does that work out? So you and I are hanging out, and you tell me about how God has been at work in your life. 
And when I see God at work in your life, my understanding of his love just grew a little bit. When I share with you how God's been at work in my life, your love for God goes up a little bit. So the stories we share of the love of God in our lives takes us with all the saints up a notch in being able to comprehend and understand the love of God. This is a team sport, okay? This is a team sport. I hope, I hope you're playing on a team. I hope you're surrounded by spiritual friends. I hope you're having conversations that matter on a weekly basis. If not, come talk to me. I want to help you. This is a team sport to know the love of God. And then Paul here in verse 18 goes into a description of the love of God. He says, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? So if you have any background in science or if you watch sci-fi shows, which maybe I do, maybe I don't, but we always talk about the fact that we live in a three-dimensional world, right? A three-dimensional world. If we start talking about a four-dimensional world, and he threw up four dimensions right here, we think of things like the Twilight Zone. Or if you're younger than 60, you think of the Upside Down, okay? So like something thrown at you, like something's not right here. Why does he bring up four dimensions? Now, he's doing it intentionally. Back in the day when Paul wrote this, people were writing literature back in the day. They were writing fantasy. They were writing like magical stuff. And when they would reference four dimensions like he does here intentionally, oftentimes the reference point is something magical, something outside of human comprehension. Now, these aren't Christian authors, like they would write fantasy novels. But this concept, this use of literature, was usually communicating something that was just outside of one's intellectual reach. So it fits in context here perfectly. Paul knows what he's doing. He's basically saying, Jesus has this four-dimensional love that you've got no shot of knowing and understanding on your own. It's just out of your reach. So maybe, maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to start praying that God would fill you with his power so that you would have a shot at understanding this four-dimensional love of Christ because it's beyond what you can do on your own. You need him to know his love. That's the second request. The third request, in verse 19 at the beginning, it says, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. His third, third prayer is that they would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. So when we talked about comprehending, we said that that was a word describing what was mentally happening, that we would mentally understand and put the pieces together about the love of Christ. The word know here is a little different. This is more of an experiential knowledge like you would know your spouse or you would know a family member, like there's a relational, intimate connection, like you know them, like by knowing them, you're interconnected with them relationally. So what he's praying for here is that you would know, not just intellectually, but experientially, the love of Christ. So this takes it up a notch. I don't want you just to understand the love of Christ. I want you to be radically interconnected with the love of Christ so that you are changed, transformed, that you become a new person because you're so interwoven with the love of Christ that it changes you. You're relationally connected to the love of Christ. Then he says, which surpasses knowledge. So I want you to be interconnected with the love of Christ and to know it intimately, but it's still a little out of your reach. Okay? So, it's interesting that Paul is making a request for something that's beyond us, but that's how it works. It's a little beyond us. We need to pray for it. So that picture there of surpasses knowledge looks like this in my head. I don't have a picture of this, but like, like a ladder that reaches into the sky, 
Or like, remember the beanstalk, that whole thing where it just goes up and up? This is a ladder going into the sky. It hits the clouds, goes through the clouds, goes up past the clouds. You cannot see where this ladder ends. But every time you climb a little bit higher on this ladder, as you look down, you see a little bigger picture of the love of God. So it surpasses knowledge. But it doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't mean you throw in the towel. It doesn't mean God hasn't called you to pursue knowing more. It just means every day, Lord willing, you go a little bit higher on that ladder. You just get a little bigger view and understanding of the love of God. You'll never reach the top, but you always can reach the next step, okay? You can always reach the next step. So even though it surpasses knowledge, we together as a team sport pray and help one another take that next step in knowing a little bit more. So let's go over the request again. It was a prayer for power, that we would have the power of God at work within us. It was a prayer for comprehension, that we would mentally know the love of God. It was a prayer for knowledge, that we would experientially know Him. What's the result? What happens when those things are true? Verse 19, the second part says, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So there's a progression of requests, and it lands on this. Why? That you may be filled up to the fullness of God that you would know the love of God so well, mentally, experientially, relationally, that what happens is you start getting filled up with this love that you're pursuing. I mean, isn't that how you want to be described? You know that Mike guy? He just seems filled up with God. I mean, isn't that how you want to be known? How you want to live life? How you want to be experienced by others? This is this is the result. This is what we're going for. When we understand the love of God, we are radically changed by the love of God. We, begin, we become filled up with God, okay? We start acting like Him, thinking like Him. Our motivations are similar to His. The way we love is like the way He loves. We want to be filled up with the goodness, the fullness, the love of God. So when it comes to measuring spiritual maturity, we've gone in a lot of interesting directions through the years as believers, or sometimes we'll measure spiritual maturity by how well you do everything on this list and don't do the things on this list. Like oftentimes we measure maturity by your ability to check boxes, adhere to lists. Here is describing maturity very differently. It's describing maturity by how well you understand and know the love of God. Our spiritual maturity is measured here by our ability to grasp mentally, and know, wrap our arms around the love of God. Because according to Scripture, when that happens, you're transformed and you're changed. Everything about you is different when that happens. Uh, here's a good quote by a guy named Peter O'Brien. He says this, describing how this connects to spiritual maturity. He says, when the apostle desires that his readers may be strengthened through the Spirit and experience the effects of Christ's indwelling so that they may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God, he is praying that they, by, they may be all that God wants them to be, that is, spiritually mature. So as he's praying that they be filled up with the fullness of God, he's praying that they would be spiritually mature as God has designed them and desired them to be. So the goal here was to kind of work through piece by piece through this prayer and to understand it. But this prayer is located in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Ephesians. It's really a summary. It kind of is an exclamation point to everything that has been said before. And 
what I like to do is I like to go through an illustration that has helped me a lot in understanding and realizing how much the Lord loves me from the book of Ephesians. So we're going to go a little bit higher here through this illustration and look back at what we learned from chapters 1, 2, and 3. I stole this illustration from someone, so if you like it, don't give me any credit. Uh, <clears throat> but here's some containers. And this first one, each container represents something. According to the book of Ephesians, there's several things that are true about you. This first box represents you, okay? According to the book of Ephesians, there's several things in chapter 2 that are true of you and me before we became a Christian. One, you and I are considered spiritually dead before Christ. Not on life support. There's no, like, spiritual heart throwing out a beat every once, every once in a while. The spiritual echo, echogram is done. You are spiritually dead. You have flatlined spiritually without Christ. We're also told without Christ that we actually prefer following his enemy, the devil, more than following him, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Okay? It also says that we are objects of God's wrath. You and I have lived our lives in such a way before Christ that we are accumulating for ourselves anger, wrath, and judgment from God. No little thing. So there's a day when we actually have to have that paid on us. But it doesn't stop there. In chapter 2, it continues and says, but Christ has entered in. He died on the cross. The judgment, the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve, he took on himself. And by grace, through faith in him, you can receive the gift of God, that is eternal life in him forever. And when that happens, everything about you changes. Here's some blessings. Here's some amazing things that happen to you the moment that you believe. Number one, 1 Corinthians tells us that when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that is no little thing. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God himself, lives inside of you. So it says that you receive the Holy Spirit. He now lives inside of you. According to chapter 1, verse 14, he's a guarantee that you will be saved. If your head, your heart, or some other person ever questions whether or not you're saved, if you by grace have placed your faith in him, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of your salvation. Until you see Jesus face to face, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is a guarantee that that day will come to pass. All of your hopes, all of your joys are a surety because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Bible says because he lives inside of you, he'll help you understand his word. He will convict you as you need convicted. He will lead you. He will fill you. He will teach you. He will help you pray. So having the Holy Spirit changes everything about you. He loves you this much. But it doesn't stop there. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it talks about the fact that you and I, once we place our faith in Christ, we are considered in Christ. Our identity becomes in Christ. So this one represents... Christ. And the Bible's very clear that because he died on the cross and he gave us the grace to place our faith in him, we are now located in Christ. We are in him. So when the Father looks at you, what does he see? He sees Christ. 
And then he says in verse three, that you have been given all spiritual blessings in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that there is to receive, you have been given already in Christ. You don't need to go find some new spiritual way of doing something. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing there is to possess, you have already because you are in him. What is Christ's? He has given to you. Beautiful picture. What is Christ? He has given to you. So in verse four, it says, you've been made holy and blameless in him. How holy are you? As holy as Christ. How blameless are you? You're in him. You're as blameless as Christ. You are in Christ, redeemed, forgiven forever. But it doesn't end there. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Where? In the Father, in God. So, in the Father, it says that you have been given the Holy Spirit. He resides in you now and forever. You are located and found in Christ, who is found in God. How secure are you as a believer? You're this secure. How loved are you as a believer? You are, you are this loved. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You are located in Christ, holy and blameless, fully and completely forgiven forever. The Father looked at you, and even though you and I before Christ lived against the, the Lord, we weren't for his glory, we were against his glory, we weren't looking for his love, we were saying, I don't want your love. He said, I'm going to give it to you anyways. I'm going to adopt you as my own. Ephesians chapter 1, we were adopted by the Father as his own. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. You and I weren't even looking for it. But he came and showed up and said, you're mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. And Ephesians 1 says that he lavished his love upon us. Lavished. Out of the superabundance of his love, he gave some to you. So we need to pray along with Paul that he can help us to understand how much he loves us. Because we can't understand this. This is beyond our comprehension that he loves you this much. How secure are you when that diagnosis comes? How secure are you when that relationship falls apart? How secure are you when your life just doesn't go the way you expected? You are this secure. You've never fallen out of the love of God, not for one moment. And you won't until he sees you face to face. You are his now and you're his forever. So this is my attempt. This is my desire to have you go a couple more rungs, a couple more steps up that ladder to see his love from a little higher level. And this is what we're about here at Bible Center. This is what I hope that you're about in your small groups, is that you together, as a team, working together, that you're growing in your knowledge and understanding of your love of Christ. Because if you really believe this, this changes the way you view tomorrow, doesn't it? It changes the way you view this afternoon. It changes everything about the way you see yourself and the people around you who've placed their faith in Christ. Are you gonna mistreat someone who's living their life like, if the Holy Spirit's in that person, they're in Christ and they're in God the Father, are you going to misspeak about them? Are you going to pass on gossip about them? That should scare you to death. Look how they're protected. You mess with that brother or sister in Christ, you're messing with God. So this understanding changes everything. 
It changes everything. So my only hope today is that you walk out of here today with some mental images and some verses that you can hold on to to remind yourself how much God loves you. Because our spiritual maturity is not measured by how good we are, how well we do things. Our spiritual maturity is measured by our ability to grasp and understand and know and believe in the love of God. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.